Let's pray as we begin this morning. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, you might be a little concerned after the scripture reading this morning of what this, uh, this morning would be like. I will warn you, uh, if you didn't know, we're going through the book of James, and we are in a really tough stretch right now. Uh, this Sunday, next Sunday, are difficult texts to deal with, um, difficult passages for us to wrestle through, um, but we're going to do it faithfully, and I think hopefully we'll walk out of these couple weeks together with, uh, with a better understanding of James and who he's writing to. And you might be wondering, what is this text that was just read for us really about? And I'm, I'm taking a stab at this. I, I really think that what's happening here is James is addressing anger in his community. Um, so a cultural observation I would make from that is that people today are angry. People are angry. It feels like everyone is so mad sometimes I'm not a big news person. Uh, I, I like to know what's going on locally in our country and in the world. I read enough, just enough to be informed, but I really don't, don't trust a lot of media outlets at this point, and I, I avoid pundit speech and op-ed stuff when I can, maybe too much. Typically, when I turn on the news, this is the, the kind of image that greets me, and it's probably the one that greets you too, people screaming, Right? Flooding the streets in frustration to protest, yelling at one another, or to no one in particular. I see a lot more opposition and anger and frustration than I see extension or empathy or compassion. And it's just really easy for us, if, if you're like me, it's really easy to identify the things that make us mad and then find someone or something that is the perfect representation of that angering thing and choose to get angry at that thing or that person. It's really easy. So as we begin today, I want to invite you in just, just to a little bit of self-reflection. Somewhere on your bulletin or a notebook maybe that you brought with you, I just want you to write down. If you've got a, there should be some pencils there or a pen or that, that you might have. I just want you to write down what makes you angry. You're not going to be sharing this with anybody. I'm not going to make you stand up and confess what makes you angry. You're not going to be turning these in. These are for your reflection. Maybe it's something in the world that you see and it makes you angry, write that down. Maybe it's something in our culture that just irks you, that rubs you the wrong way, write that down. And of course we are humans and we all interact with other humans all the time, so maybe it's somebody that just enrages you. You can write that down too. Here's the thing, as you're, as you're thinking about that and as you're writing it down, I, I want you to know I get it. It's easy to get angered today. Anger is not something that I I struggle with, I don't think it's my primary vice, but I fall into it. I get riled up every time I read the news. So I don't stand in judgment uh, of your anger today. I get the anger. I feel it too, and I'm, I'm not interested in judging any of you today. I don't think anyone's interested in that. So I wanna give you just another second to write that down, to think about that, if you haven't already. What makes you angry? Take a, take a second to think about that. Now, I don't want you to share any 
specifics, especially if your pastor makes you mad, because that could be kind of awkward this morning. But if you were going to distill your anger down into a broader category that's maybe just one or two words, what would it be? Anybody feel free to call call something out. Just call it out. Injustice. Being, oh, okay, being lactose intolerant. Yeah, something's not right and it makes me angry, right? Yeah, that's really good. Thank you. Deception. Yeah, when, when people aren't telling the truth. Dishonesty. Any others? Any other words? Social media hypocrisy, hatred, disrespect, driving in the city, perfect. As I was reflecting on the things that make me angry this week, I realized that there is a lot of power in our anger, right? A lot of energy that we put behind anger. Anger is quite possibly an appropriate response, driving in the city. I think anger can be an appropriate response there. And there is a biblical allowance for anger, okay? Especially when it's called righteous anger, an anger that gets stirred up because we realize that something is not right in this world, something's wrong, and we desperately want to get to a point where things are made right. That's a biblical standard. And let me tell you, if your own anger around things is powerful, when we experience righteous anger... It's even more powerful because it's not just me that's angry. I'm standing with God who's angry about this thing. Righteous anger makes us feel good because we feel justified in our anger. It's God who's angry, and I'm on the side of God on this one. And we should be concerned with the things that concern God. The big question becomes, what do we do with our anger? And that's my focus today. What should it look like for a Christian to to exercise righteous anger in our world today so that it doesn't add to the destruction and the noise that we so often see. We know from our previous study in the book of James that not all anger leads to righteousness. You might remember back in chapter 1, verse 20, where he says, be slow to anger because your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Your anger doesn't produce God's righteousness. So just because we're angry doesn't mean that we're in the center of God's will for us. And if, we're, and if we're not very, very careful with our anger, I think our anger can cause us to be well outside of God's will for us. Dallas Willard treats anger brilliantly in a very simple way. He says, anger indulged instead of simply waved off always has in it an element of self-righteousness and vanity. Find a person who has embraced anger and you find a person with a wounded ego. Wow. I know this is true. It's true of me. All my anger, even the anger that I think that God probably stands with me in, is largely, I think, self-righteous, self-preserving, and probably vain. And I don't want to live like that. I know that it's toxic for me if I go to that place, if I embrace anger. And I don't really want that for you either, and I don't want it for our church. So again, the question, what are we supposed to do with anger? What do we do with our anger? There's a great story that actually illustrates this in the Old Testament. King David was a righteous man. His, t- his, his sort of nickname was the man after God's own heart. Pretty great nickname. He was also sort of the moral mouthpiece for an entire people, the people of Israel. In 2 Samuel 12, we read a story about David's personal prophet, Nathan, who shares a story with David, and it enraged David. And we see David's anger. I want to read it for you. The Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him, and he said, There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. 
The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. He brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his meager fare and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Now, there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was loath to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared that for the guest who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled inside of him against, against the man. He said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this thing deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. We know that emotion of David, right? We feel it. We get it, right? It's the same response that I think most of us would have to this kind of story, especially if we had an opportunity to do something about it. That is not right. That's not just. That's not fair. This guy needs to pay. His anger burned in him. And he was standing with God, right? This was a righteous anger. So it was okay to get angry because he's standing with God. But then Nathan says something in verse 7 that collapses everything. Nathan said to David, you are the man. You're the man. This is just a savage, devastating word from Nathan. I think it's one of the most savage verses in the entire Bible. When I read it, my heart sinks, and I can't imagine how David felt hearing those words. It hurts because we love our anger, and we feel justified in it, and we get so hopped up on it. It's actually a drug for us, by the way. It does things to our brain, to our physiology. We get so hopped up on it that we forget we're the man, we're the woman, we're the problem. The thing that enrages you is also inside of you. Think about that. The thing that enrages you is also inside of you. Anger is dangerous because it feels so good and it can cause us to become myopic and it can cause us to forget that we're part of the problem too. About a month ago, I received a, a lovely piece of mail. It was one of those red light camera citations from the city of Oak Brook Terrace. I've received a, a few of these over the years, often hoping that it was Katie driving the car because that would make me feel a little better. This one happened to be me, um, as most of them usually were me. Anyways, uh, and most of the time I've just paid them because they've been down in the city of Chicago. I don't want to deal with it, so I just pay the ticket. But this one was a little bit different. This citation was for a no turn on red right at uh, six, uh, 22nd and 83rd. Has anybody gotten a red light? Okay, thank you for your honesty. Um, I think they just installed this a month ago or something. Anyways, um, at sec 22nd and 83, and, and where you're turning right onto 83, and I know for a fact that there are two right-hand turn lanes, and I was in, whenever I was driving, I know I was in the far right one where you can turn on red. So I said, you know what, I'm going to actually go and appeal at this hearing rather than just pay the $100. And, and um, before the red light camera thing, you could go and, and, and appeal these things, and oftentimes the officer wouldn't even show up and you wouldn't have to pay. Well, this is a little different. It was a fascinating experience. There were probably 40 people there, and um, they called people forward one by one. I must have been number 37 out of 40. Um, but they would show them a video of their violation and give them an opportunity to offer a defense. Uh, about one out of every four people that got up there was not in violation, so that gave me a lot of hope. The man who was reviewing the citation would watch the video and then say, I'm, I'm sorry, ma'am, I'm not sure why you were flagged for this if there wasn't a citation. If there was, 
uh, he would simply ask them uh, what, what, what was wrong. But there were several where he goes, well, this is not your fault. So again, I was feeling pretty good. Those who were at, those who were at fault, though, were, were simply painful and even angering for me to sit through. <laughs> Um, there was an elderly woman who spoke through tears about how she had just moved to the area and was trying to learn routes to the grocery store, and she asked for leniency, and that took about 15 minutes for her to, for, for her to do that, and it was kind of, to be honest, that was kind of driving me crazy. I was getting a little angry. There was, there was a man in a turban who explained that he was new to our country, and he doesn't read signs really well, um, which is fine, but I go, just, yeah, but you still uh, went, blew right through this here. A few people expounded how, on how they had to make kind of split-second decisions because their cars were behind them, and, and that was kind of making me roll my eyes a little bit. There was a young Eastern European man who confronted the whole process as this conspiratorial money grab that exploits people and funds corporations, and, and I'm sitting through all of this. The most fascinating one, there was a disheveled man who had to be dismissed because of his intense anger, intense anger, swearing and spouting off and saying, I don't care what the video shows you. I didn't do anything, and I'm going to keep appealing until I'm cleared of all wrongdoing. To every single rebuttal, the, the man who was hearing the trial would say, that's a perfectly fine excuse, but it's not a defense. That's a perfectly fine excuse. That's not a defense. Even to the vitriolic man, he said very graciously, I understand your anger. Hey, I've been there. I'd be angry too. But that is you on the video running right through this red light. So when I was finally called forward, I smiled generously. I said that I didn't believe I was in violation. I was in the right, farthest right turn lane. I was allowed to turn on red. I'm sure that I came to a complete stop and I looked both ways. And then the officer said, okay, let's, let's look at the video and I'll, I'll show you the video. What so here it is, there's me. And I did not stop at all. So I watched, the, I watched this video and I, and the gentleman said, is there, is there anything that you would like to say uh, after that? And I kind of laughed. I said, nope, nothing to say. Uh, he might as well have said to me, uh, you're the man. You're the man. Those people that I had heard before me who were so angry, bumbling, not very intelligent maybe, hopeless for sure, I'm them. I'm the man. I'm the problem too. I paid my $100 on the spot. Uh, I've started a Lars Stromberg red light camera GoFundMe page. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I need to learn my lesson. I was, I was really humbled by that experience. It was embarrassing, and as much as I would have loved for the man to give me a warning and say, well, hey, you know, we'll just let this one slide. I'm so glad he didn't because I needed that humbling. I needed the embarrassment. I needed the reminder that the things that anger me live inside of me. My prideful anger is not leading to righteousness. This experience has caused me to, to pause whenever I feel anger welling up inside of me because I realize that whatever makes me mad is somewhere deep inside of me. I've watched uh, things on the news that I get angry about, and I realize some of those things are inside of me. Some of you have watched this throughout the summer, too, the unfolding story of these detention centers on the southern borders of our country. I get mad, right? The conservative-leaning part of me gets mad because laws are being broken, and, and, I, and I get angry that the whole story is probably not being told, and then maybe the more progressive-leaning side of me gets mad because of the injustice of it all and the laws and procedure that seem to overshadow common decency, and I feel anger boiling up inside of me, and then I realize all that stuff's in me. 
I cling to my way of life and my freedoms too tightly. I don't always project an honest story to the people around me. I don't empathize enough. I don't care about these realities until it's culturally relevant to do so. All those things are inside of me. The things that enrage me are also certainly inside of me. Jesus understands this. He says in Matthew 7, Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye, while the log is clearly in your own eye? You hypocrite. He said, hypocrite, right? That makes us mad, right? Take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. We are speck experts, aren't we? We're so good at it. We're so adept at putting the magnifying glass on others and so resistant about putting the magnifying glass on ourselves for fear that we might find that we have a log in our own eye. And then we would have to own the anger that we, that, that we must be causing in other people. If their speck is bugging me, what must the log in my eye be doing to them? And here's where I finally want to hop back into our text in James 4. For those of you who are nervous, we'd never get there. Joy shared with us a couple weeks ago how James is addressing a, a group of people who aren't getting along very well. They're not seeking God's wisdom for their community, because they're, and because of this, they're really sitting on this tinderbox as a church that's ready to ignite and cause some, some real damage, and there was anger and animosity and difficulty. So he says in the beginning of chapter 4, seek God's wisdom, not worldly wisdom. And in our passage today, James offers three answers to for, for what we're supposed to do with our anger, I think. So the first one is this. We must recognize that we're the problem that we despise so much. We have to recognize that, at least in part. We're the problem that we despise so much. Our passage begins with this, this kind of tough word, adulterers. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? This is not meant to indicate sexual adultery, by the way, but the adultery of our hearts. God made us for peace and righteousness, and we've, we've cheated on him by the way we treat one another, by the way we give into anger, the log in our own eyes that, that guides us so often through life. God jealously wants for us to live lives that are righteous and upright and holy as he created us to be. So we need to admit that the world is not the problem the problem, at least in part, resides in us, which I think we've covered. The second thing that James gets into is the call to confession. That's kind of the middle section of this passage. For me, growing up, it was normal to be reflective about your own sin. I didn't see it as punitive or heavy-handed in any way in the church tradition I grew up in. Confession was kind of a regular part of the spiritual diet uh, that we had. But something's happened. Something's changed in our culture. Nobody confesses. Nobody owns things. In fact, we're told to celebrate the way that God has made us with, with hostility towards anyone who might suggest that we're not beautiful just the way that we are. And this sounds great, and it makes us feel good, but it's totally at odds to the life in Christ that we are invited towards. The only way that we can move forward towards Christ is by repenting, by turning away from the sin, the life, the attitudes, the beliefs, the actions of our, of our flesh, our worldly selves, and then move towards Christ. As my pastor friend Ben Kearns says, we can't go one way while our feet are faced another. And this passage of scripture invites us into an, an even deeper level of reflection and spiritual work. 
James calls us to submit ourselves to God, to actively resist the devil, to cleanse ourselves. We're invited not just to identify our sin, but to grieve, to mourn, to wail. This is not a great marketing tool for church. I'll I'll put that right out front. But grieving our own sin is essential. We love that Jesus wants to be in relationship with us. We soak up his love and grace as we should. But we often forget that the backside of this relationship is the call to maintain relationship with Jesus by continually humbling ourselves, recognizing that we're part of the problem. It's an interesting spiritual discipline to not simply confess your sin, but to reflect upon it. The pain and the distance that it causes to others and to God. So to grieve and mourn and to pause before we celebrate our forgiveness. The discipline of grieving our own sin gives us a vision for life without the log in our eyes. This sort of discipline can be used by God to actually transform us, to transform our our tastes and desires in the way that we see life. The third thing that James tells us is that we need to change the way we talk. We've already addressed the dangers of the tongue in this series, but James is, is also saying here that we ought not speak angrily to one another, but humbly and with charity. Don't give in to anger. Choose humility and charity instead. When we speak out of anger, we're automatically judging the other. And as James says in verse 12, God is the only judge and lawgiver, so why are we trying to take his place? If we remember that we're part of the problem, that we should humble ourselves, then this third point, how we talk to one another, shouldn't be too hard for us. So what to do with anger? What's our response in the midst of a culture that encourages our anger and feeds upon it? James would suggest that We are to enter such a a culture humbly and carefully. For me, I I have a difficult time discerning what righteous anger is and what's just my anger. We should be extremely wary of saying that we're on the side of God on this or that. I know it feels good to yell and scream, to unload on somebody in our anger, to win an argument, to dismantle others in our anger, but do we really believe that that's leading us to righteousness? What if indeed we spent that energy that we're spending on that on self-inspection, actively drawing near to God by humbling ourselves, never speaking evil against one another, even the politician or the pundit who we're never going to meet who drives us crazy. I personally trust God with righteous anger much more than I trust myself with it. So I want to lay down my anger, and I want to ask God to replace that with humility and charity. Join me. Let's help each other in this. So to close this morning, I want you, if you wrote something down, I want you to just look at it. Earlier in the service, you may have written something down. Let me ask the question, what should you do with that? What should you do with that? If we follow the formula of James, here we would first ask the question, God, is the thing that angers me on this paper also inside of me? By show of hands, how many of you already know that the thing that you wrote down on your sheet of paper resides inside of you? Anybody? Good, thank you. I appreciate that honesty. We should ask God, God, there's a log in my eye, isn't there? Second, we should humble ourselves. We should cleanse ourselves. We should grieve our sin. We should mourn the ways that our anger ends up hurting other people. And third, we should commit to not speak out of anger with or against others. This is the righteous way to deal with anger. And as heavy as this passage seems... I actually think it's not an ultimately depressing reality because in verse 10, James says, humble yourselves and the Lord will what? Will exalt you, will lift you up. As the great 
Tim Keller puts it, the gospel humbles us to the dust and at the very same time exalts us to the heavens. That's the real gospel. One last thing. Nathan came to meet David and offer this scenario about the ewe lamb after David had committed a grievous sin. He had committed adultery with Bathsheba and had fairly directly led to the death of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. Scripture gives us the gift of David's response in Psalm 51. And I want to read this psalm for you, keeping in mind what you wrote on that sheet of paper. Psalm 51 covers all that James writes about in chapter 4 and is remarkably healing for me as I read it in light of my own anger and sin. So first, let me admit that that I'm the man, that we're, we're the person. And then I want to read this psalm for you. You can follow along or you can close your eyes and just listen. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you alone I have sinned and done what's evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner, when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from bloodshed, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your deliverance. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you have no delight in sacrifice. If I were to give a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. And then bowls will be offered on your altar. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize the anger that is so prevalent in our world and in our lives. Lord, I thank you for those here today who can release that anger quite easily. I want to pray specifically for those here today who can't, who embrace it and who who hold on to it and, and clench their fists around it. Lord, for each of us, would you, in this moment, by the power of your Spirit, Would you open those fists that we've closed around our anger? Would you release the power that anger has over us? 
Would you help us to realize, Lord, that the problems that we despise are indeed very much in us? And would you renew in our hearts the echo of that call to humble ourselves before you, to resist the devil, to cleanse ourselves? Because, Lord, we do believe that just as our relationship with you and our understanding with you brings us down into the dust like it does in this text this morning, that just as you do that, you are simultaneously lifting us up to the heavens as well. So we ask that that might be for us and that you might release us from the tyranny of anger and help us to experience the freedom that comes in you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.